Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. We give him glory tonight. We're going to be turning to the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke this evening, uh, chapter number 12, Gospel of Luke. Also, just another endeavor that's out there for all uh, school-aged, homeschool, virtual online students. If you're between the ages of ninth and 12th grade, uh, the student ministries of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ has a essay contest that is out there. Uh, of writing on the life and impact of the Apostle Paul on Christianity. And uh, it can be a 500-word essay. And there's all information on my Facebook page uh, that you can submit that. And there are then rewards. They will be judged by a panel of judges. And the first prize is is a $1,000 reward. Second prize, $500. And third prize is $250. And so... Uh, that's an opportunity for maybe some money for college or, uh, you know, whatever. If your essay writing is your thing, the deadline for that, uh, I think it is November the 3rd. It's fastly approaching because it will be announced at National Youth Convention when that is. And so uh, there's already several sponsors. We're sponsoring that uh, here. We're sponsoring that. And so, and actually, I'm on the panel to judge, help judge essays and such. So, uh, I won't know who it is. Your name won't be attached to whatever comes through me uh, to look at or others, several others. But that's just an opportunity for you. It's kind of a new new endeavor, amen. And so it's just, you know, it's fun, it's important, and you might be able to get something again. If you get $250, $500, or $1,000 uh, toward anything, uh, that's something that you didn't have. Amen. So just want to make mention of that. Again, if you have any questions, that you can see that or go to my Facebook page, and I have it shared there. All the details uh, can be found there. Luke chapter, Luke chapter number 12. So good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. Amen here tonight. Uh, there's sometimes we, Sunday morning, Sunday night, are different crowds to a certain degree. But I see a lot of the same people here tonight that was here this morning. I appreciate your consistency. Amen, between a.m. and p.m., amen, this evening. Thank you for that. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 12, Wednesday, we'll be here with Genesis continuing along the way. and going to have a great time of revival and always have a good time with uh, fellowship on Saturday as well. Please don't forget that uh, celebration of life, a memorial service is for Samantha's dad at the uh, House of Prayer in Albion at 1 o'clock on Saturday as well. Luke 12, verse 6 and 7, these are the words of Jesus. If you have a red letter edition Bible, they're like screaming, right? Because they're the red letters, Jesus speaking. He says, are not five sparrows sowed for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head... are all numbered fear not therefore ye are of more value than many sparrows more value than many sparrows 
folks, I don't, I don't, I don't have uh, per se anything that's coming in the back door or anything tonight, but this has been on my heart a lot this week. So I want to simply minister this tonight. The preciousness of you. The preciousness of you. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I need you tonight. God, I come as your humble servant. God, if you can use the Lord, God, these scriptures, you can use the Lord Jesus, this mouth, God, to say something that can encourage, that can inspire, that, Lord, God, can give, Lord, and repay God worth, Lord, to someone tonight. Help me, God, to do, Lord Jesus, that. Let your word do that, I pray. God, it stands alone, and it's able, and it's, it's equipped, Lord Jesus, to help us, God, in our life. And I believe that tonight, in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, that I pray. Hallelujah and amen to the church. Say amen. You may be seated this evening. The preciousness, the preciousness of you. We deal, we deal with a society today. I, I believe you're probably aware of this to a certain degree, but we deal with a society today that struggles with, they struggle with self-worth and self-identity. They are trying to find, and I believe it's one of the means and why there is an identity crisis in our world because they're trying to find something that, that identifies them or something that they can resonate with part and parcel because their, their sense of worth is less than really what it should be or what it ought to be. Uh, comparison is at an all-time high in our world because people showcase, this is the generation that we live in, okay? People showcase a flawless, flawless version of their lives through all of the social media venues that we have, uh, the Instagram and the Facebook and the Twitter and the myriad other social. I mean, I remember when it was just like, you know, one hand of social media. Now you don't have enough hands to represent all of the different type of medias out there that you can be so social on. And, and everybody is showcasing the, the flawless version of their lives right, all of the highlight reels and the limelight of their lives on these type of medias. People then are looking through these things and they're looking to other people's lives and what they're interested in and the trips they went on and the cars that they have and the homes that they live in and how many mutual friends and how many friends they have comparison to friends that someone else has. And as a result of that, they begin to judge their lives, judge their own lives, their own sense of worth and who they are based upon the lives of hundreds of others that are on all of these social media platforms. And at times it heightens their sense of inadequacy whenever they perceive as though they have fallen short from where somebody else is in life. They feel like maybe they don't have the same looks like someone else has or they don't have the same money that somebody else has or what they, they showcase as though they have. They don't have the same happiness that someone else has. And so this is the world in which we live. As a matter of fact, not long ago, or at least within this calendar year, I was listening to a podcast episode entitled Incognito by Ted Radio Hour, which 
which if you're a podcast person, I highly recommend it. I love that podcast, TED Radio Hour. Anyway, some time ago I was listening to it and there was a Croatian fashion designer by the name of Gela Marja Verbonic. She founded a company called Tribute Brand and she had designed, as being described on this podcast, she had designed this beautiful golden dress that had a bow and a corset and the dress was described as very, very large, very huge. It had a lot of volume. This dress did. It was, it was made from metallic golden material. It was described as shining and gleaming and smooth. But the thing was this. You could not physically wear this dress. This dress was only available in the virtual world. Gala was a digital fashion designer. She had, I know everybody's just staring at me right now like you're speaking weird. But anyway, she had tapped into a, a, a niche, a, realizing that people spend millions of real dollars shopping for just virtual clothes online. I know this is the world you're living in. I, I'm, maybe I'm giving you a view into our world. So her idea for being a digital fashion designer actually sprung from an observation. She noticed on various and peculiar, particular, I might say, uh, social media venues, she noticed that younger people were buying and reselling expensive streetwear brands, brands I don't even know, they're called the brand Supreme. I guess it's a streetwear brand. There were young people that were buying and reselling expensive streetwear brands like Supreme. And these brands, there's a limit to them. They make limited numbers of the items that they make. So the, the markup of them are outrageous. You know, the, the laws of supply and demand are there. The more limited number they are, the greater popularity that there is, then the more that they're going to cost. But these young people, they just didn't want to be perceived as unfashionable, so they, they really wanted an image that they wanted to portray, amen, to other people were around them. And so Gala noticed that these young people would buy one of these outrageous, expensive garments or piece of clothing they would take a picture of themselves in the clothing for their social media and there shortly after they would resell it maybe just having it for two hours because they had an image that they wanted to portray to the rest of the world Maybe that they had money, that they were in style and vogue and all of that, but they were going to spend this large amount of money, try to recap that money, wear it just to get a picture so they can put it online and maybe only own it for a couple of hours. So they did this to have something to share socially. They did this to have something to share digitally, proving that they had the garment, although they had it for two hours, that they had the garment, and they really didn't need the garment. They just wanted an image in virtual space of them having the garment. 
And so based upon her observations of this going on, she became a digital fashion designer in her business because she understood that people had some real self-image concerns that could be capitalized on. These things sell, these outfits digitally sell above hundreds of dollars for you to purchase and buy and have on your bean, all right, so that all the world can see. As a matter of fact, and if I'm not mistaken, they even had a Gucci bag that was sold virtually online for more than what you would pay for a Gucci bag in person of the same design. But this is the world we live in. These are the feeds that are available, amen, to any individual that has social media. And while some of them are valid, they're portraying their real life, there's others that's trying to cover up for the imperfections of their families. And the imperfections of what may be going on in their life, so they're showcasing a different version of themselves. Yet whenever we have our young people or anybody for that matter that's viewing all of this content, sometimes there's a sense of worthlessness that ensues because whenever they see a standard that they believe they'll never be able to live up to, they'll never be able to climb or something that they'll never be able to afford or they'll never be able to have or a vacation they'll never be able to go on. Some are truly, truly able to do those things, but others, it's just a mock-up. It's just a facade. Amen. What I want you to know tonight, if you can't live up to somebody else's standard, that by no means reflect your personal worth. Uh-huh. If you can't buy the outfit or the car or go on that vacation, if some days you are uh, posting it's been a bad day while everybody else it's always good and it's always pink elephants and there's Skittles, you know, what are, if, that, if that is you, that by no means reflects your self-worth because your worth is not encapsulated in beauty. Your worth is not encapsulated in your achievement. Your worth is not encapsulated or your standard's not the average person or any person for that matter. Amen. It's not gauged. Your importance not gauged by those things. God dictates your worth. The setting of our text is somewhat chaotic. The Bible describes in the first verse that there are a lot of people that are gathered here in this particular place. There's so many people that are gathered. The Bible causes causes calls it an innumerable multitude and the Bible says that they, they trod upon one another or they were stepping on one another there were so many people and not only does that describe to us the immense size of this crowd and the people that are gathered but it also tells us maybe there was a little inconsiderate amen notions toward one another in this crowd and so in this setting where people are not being fully aware of the one that are next to them Jesus begins to share a message about sparrows Sparrows. sparrows, we have them right here in the good old city of Mount Carmel. If there's any bird watchers out there, sparrows are small. They're just common birds. They're found in many, if not all, parts of the world. In Scripture, a sparrow represents any small bird. They, they have a compact size. Their measurements are usually anywhere around four to eight inches in length. They're not very big. And in the culture and time of Jesus, sparrows were cheap. 
Regarding monetary or commercial significance, sparrows were not typically considered as valuable as some other species of birds are. They're not sought after. You ain't going to find someone looking for a sparrow because it has some pretty cool feathers like a peacock. You're not going to find someone thinking, man, I would, I, I, you don't know what I would give for some good old sparrow feathers. You know, no, You're not going to find that on eBay, all right? You're not going to find someone that's saying, oh, if I could just have the delicacy and the sweet tender meat of a sparrow. Oh, that would just be great tonight for supper. You're not going to hear anybody talking about, hey, we're, you might want to come over tonight. We're having sparrow. No, that, that's not going to happen. Sparrows were not of that type. They were not sought after because of those particular things like other birds were sought after. Amen. They were not considered that valuable. Sparrows were the cheapest item in Jesus' day. If they were going among the markets of Jesus' day, sparrows were the cheapest item in the marketplace that a person could buy. And I can understand what that's about. I remember as being a small boy, amen, of course being raised and reared in a family with four sisters and then a mom and a dad, that's, that's, a, good, that's a good amount of children, amen, for the time in which we lived and for the jobs and occupations of, of my parents. And so I remember going to the store sometimes thinking I was the richest kid around because I had Abraham Lincoln here in my fingers, good old Mr. Penny. I had in my pocket I'm walking to that store like I own the store because I got a penny in my hand and I have all types of imaginations Erica of what I'm going to do with that penny in that store man I'm thinking about matchbox cars I'm thinking about silly putty I'm thinking about the real things of life that I could purchase with that penny amen but most of the time you know what happened I left the store with a small marble size gumball and I did that because that was the cheapest thing at the store that I could buy for a penny it's not because I necessarily wanted the gumball I'd much rather had the matchbox car but that's the cheapest thing that I could get that's with that penny was that small gumball. So often whenever there were the poor that was going among the marketplace, the poor would purchase a sparrow to eat, not because its meat was a delicacy, not because it was more tender than other birds, not because they desired it, because that's all they could afford. That was the cheapest thing in the marketplace. Even when they purchased it, when's the last time you really looked at a sparrow, folks? How much meat can you think you can get off the bones of a sparrow? So they're purchasing this and the sparrow can even only offer its consumer a meager amount of meat, amen, for their meal because it's a sparrow. The Bible tells us in Matthew 10 and verse 29, it tells us that two sparrows could be sold for a farthing Amen. And a farthing isn't much. From my reading and my study, a farthing is, is a price which equals one-sixteenth of an average worker in that day, an average worker's day pay. It was one-sixteenth of their pay for a day. And you could buy two sparrows with one-sixteenth of your income of a day's work back then. 
But in our scripture text, the Bible says that five sparrows could be sold for double that amount. Five sparrows could be bought with two farthings. And so we have, you start doing the math a little bit, if two, two sparrows are bought with one and five are bought with two, someone is saying, my Lord, now my wife don't use this. They're thinking, my goodness, we get a BOGO deal going on right here. We got, we got buy, buy four sparrows and get one free. You know, we got the first blue light special clearance item. Amen. Going on here in Bible times. Amen. And it's not though really proper to view this though quite like this. This wasn't a BOGO deal. Buy four and get one free. Four sparrows and get the fifth one free. Not really. The extra sparrow was thrown in since it was virtually worthless. It really didn't have a value. The fifth sparrow was really considered the unvalued sparrow. Ladies and gentlemen, the more that I live and the more that I rub shoulders with people, I rub shoulders with people in this world, even in churches, who view themselves as the fifth sparrow. They feel awkward. They feel out of place in group settings of any size. They feel like their presence is cumbersome to whoever they're around, like they are a trouble, that they are, you know, the, the, what we would even call the fifth wheel or the third wheel. That's a part of the problem. They may not verbalize it to you and they may not verbalize it to me, but they believe they must earn their way into being friends with you because they don't believe you could befriend them for them just being who they are someone say amen amen and so they're they're in this place they think i got to do something to get this person to like me there can't be a relationship based upon no strings attached because i'm of no value i am worthless they they try to get people to like them because they don't believe they have a likability factor just as they are in their heads is the running dialogue that you are worthless you have no value you're not just simply undervalued According to them, they are unvalued. These same people carry this mentality around into the relationships, not just with men, but they carry that same mentality around with the relationship with God. And they think things like this. I must be a bother to God. I must be a weight to God. I must be a burden to God. How in the world can I get God to like me or love me more because I'm this deplorable person that God forsake that I even make my mark on society because by and large I can come and leave and nobody will ever know that I even existed why would God love I don't know why God would consider me because I'm not much I'm worthless there's not much value here there's can I tell you tonight, and it will happen more frequently as we come to the coming of the Lord because of the society in which we live. People are going to walk into our churches that their mom and dad have neglected. People are going to walk into our churches that they've been told to no certain degree that they've never been loved. They are not loved by their parents. They're not loved by their brothers. They're not loved by their sisters. They've been told, amen, by the very one that gave them birth that they don't love them. Hear me. 
there's going to be people increasingly in this last day that's going to walk in and they're going to have had years of physical and emotional and perhaps sexual abuse and it's going to have seared in their mind this very fact I'm worthless I have no value there's no purpose that anybody should want to be with me love me tend to me talk to me someone say amen their mind because of life they're coming in and they're going to say if I had genuinely had any value then another individual would have never treated me like that they never would have spoke those words of hatred to me in my home they would have never crossed the line of my innocence had I really any value someone say amen Amen. And so they're going to come in the doors with that. There's going to come some that's come in in the past that have been beaten. Some are going to come in that's been called names that no child or young person should have never been called. Amen. By people that's supposed to love them. And they're going to come in then with a crisis not knowing who they are and for sure not knowing what they're worth. Someone say amen. To the common man, a sparrow was insignificant. To a poor man, a sparrow even had little to offer. But to God, the scripture says, not one of them is forgotten. Not one of them is forgotten. He says, you purchase four sparrows. He says, and not only are those four remembered, but the quote, unquote, unvalued sparrow, insignificant sparrow, what others might term the worthless sparrow, the extra sparrow. I'm not just remembering the four. I'm remembering the fifth sparrow. I'm remembering the sparrow that others would ignore. I'm remembering the sparrow that others would just discount. I'm remembering the sparrow. Oh, yeah. I'm remembering the sparrows that the others would say, you just keep it. I'm good. Amen. Matthew said, not one of them will fall to the ground without your father. God knows when the sparrows fall. And God knows, listen to me today, if I'm talking to you, God knows the intimate details of your life. God knows your unspoken struggles. The ones you've not shared with another person. The ones you've not conveyed to your best friend. God knows the unspoken struggles of your life. God knows the unconfessed fears of your life. Jesus said, the very hairs of our head are numbered. Scientists say that there are more than 100,000 hairs on the average head. Note the word average. As a matter of fact, they say, just for information purposes, that a blonde, any blondes out here? True blondes? <laughs> a blonde has about 145,000 hairs on their head. A dark-haired person has about 120 hairs on their head. Redheads have about 90,000 hairs on their head. 
Folks, look at me. I've grown up with four sisters, making that five women in the house, including mom. I know all about hair. I could probably show up at the We Glory night and show you all something. I know all about hair. I know about hair that clogs the drains and the sinks and the bathtubs of the restroom at the McGee household growing up. I know about hair that accumulates in the lint dryer filter. After drying loads and loads of laundry and you pull out that lint and intertwined in there holding it all together is really the hairs of five women. <laughs> I know about hair. I recognize feeling the poking of hair against my skin through my clothes that's not my own. I know how to find it, see it, pull the little tail of it, but I know that's just the tip of the iceberg. As I pull, <laughs> the length of the hair is revealed. And so I know, I understand what it feels like for that to poke and pull and pull and extract it from my sweat or other items of clothing that I have. I know about hair, but I never recall. I never recall in those years growing up with all of those women in our household pulling a hair from my garment and my clothes, looking and studying the color of it, and then going to whichever sister it belonged to and saying, here, I just want to give that back to you because that's yours. <laughs> Not one day in my ever-living life did I ever return a hair that I found on my person that belonged to one of them. More than likely, I pulled that thing out. I didn't care if it was a brunette, a blonde, a redhead. It didn't matter to me. I pulled that hair out. And you know what I probably did with it? Let go of it and dropped it right on the floor where other hairs waited to clog the sweeper and seize up the beater bar on the... But God tabulates the hair fluctuations of almost 8 billion people in our world. And if it seems to bizarre, really bizarre to you, then it should seem bizarre. But what God is doing is setting up our importance to him by looking at these very minute things in creation and in our personal life. He uses a biblical principle that you can find this at different times throughout the Bible. God starts with something that is lesser and he moves to something that is greater. In our chapter, God is starting with something lesser, an insignificant little sparrow that really has no value among its culture and community. He's starting with a little hair that Paul McGee would just throw on the floor. Amen. He's taking that though and he's moving to something greater, an individual meaning this if God is interested in a sparrow if God is concerned over a single hair upon your body then how much more will God be concerned about you and concerned about your whereabouts and concerned about your welfare if he esteems the sparrow and the hair on that level surely you gotta be high above Surely you got to surpass all of that. If not one sparrow is forgotten, and not even the extra sparrow, if not one hair of your head is overlooked, 
then you can walk out of here confidently tonight as he told them, fear not because ye are of more value than many sparrows. If God is concerned about what others would term insignificant, then rest assured, he's interested in you. He's interested in your welfare. And he's not put off about the baggage. He's not put off by the baggage that you're carrying from the life prior to the moment you came to him. Isaiah 49 says these words. I won't hold you long tonight, but long enough. Isaiah 49 verse 14 Prophet Isaiah says, but Zion, which is typical of the church, but Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me. My Lord hath forgot me. That's how Zion felt. That's how Zion felt. The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Verse 15, but he says, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, and we have seen that. We know that. We, we have new scripts we could bring up today about mothers that have just totally forsaken their children, regardless of age. Yea, they may, he says, yet will I not forget thee. Verse 16, he says, Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands, Thy walls are continually before me. Zion is crying out. The church is crying out, saying we have felt forsaken by God. We are felt forgotten by God. And yet God echoes back to them, regardless of how you feel, that's not reality. I've not forgotten you. I've not forsaken you. And he tells them, he says, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. See, in this culture of the Old Testament, women were very diligent with their hands they, they used their hands a lot they, they would do grain and meal they were very industrious with their hands of that culture and they would put women of that day would put marks a mark on their hand whenever one of their sons left for battle they would put marks on their hands when one of their boys would leave for war so that all the time that that son was gone and they were working with their hands doing the grain, being industrious and their eyes cast down and they saw that mark on their hands you know what that reminded them? You got a boy that he's not here right now but he is somewhere and he's going to come back home just to remember that he exists, he's there it was a constant reminder for them God said, the Lord said even Christ if I could say through the prophetic words of Isaiah saying he said can I can I forget you no I've graven you on the palms of my hands how in the world did Christ grave you on the palm of his hands ladies and gentlemen it was through his hands and his feet that there were nails from a cross that pierced amen through those he's not going to forget you you've been graven he even showed up to Thomas that was in disbelief and he says but if I I'll handle the Lord and feel the nail prints. I, I want to know I'm not going to be forgotten. I want to know I won't be forsaken. I want to know that there's a preciousness in me in the sight. He's graving you. Woo! I 
can't, I can't forget you. Calvary is a constant reminder, amen, if not the scarring that's left of the reminder of why he was there and who he was there for. And that's all inclusive. That included you. It's impossible for him to forget you. In our text, Jesus is basically conveying this two little verses among other verses that are loosely attached to one another. But of our text, of those two verses, Jesus is basically telling everyone that everybody matters to me. I know you're in a crowd that's chaotic right now and you're trodden all over each other. And there's a lot of inconsiderate actions taking place. He says, but you all matter to me. And the love of God is so encompassing that even the so-called, and I say so-called because I don't believe there is a worthless person here. I don't believe there's a worthless person beyond these walls. But his love is so encompassing that even the so-called worthless sparrows matter to God. The Bible says in Psalms 84 and verse 3, the psalmist says, yea, the sparrow hath found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my God and my king and my God. The psalmist speaking in this moment seemingly away from the temple at distance from the house of God, Psalms 84 is almost, it's a part of the, the pilgrimage songs, the songs of ascents that they would sing on their way to the house of God. And so he's just making distinction. He's saying, I'm not there yet. He says, but there are some sparrows that are in the vicinity and the precincts of the temple that have made their house in and around the places of the altars of God that are in the temple. The psalmist was saying, the sparrow has a resting place. The sparrow has a place it can call home. That worthless, small, insignificant bird has a place it can call home. And it's in the precincts of your presence. It's in the vicinity of the altars of the temple. It has a home. It has a place of security. It has a place of comfort that's there. This small, insignificant bird. It even says, speaking of the swallows, which is another very small bird, it's saying it has a place where it can raise its young. And where's it at? It's at the temple. It's around the altars. Amen. Of that place, of the Lord's place. So I want, I want you to remember tonight is this, is the next time you battle, whether or not there's a place for you you remember the sparrow even has a home at the altars of God that the sparrow even has a home in the temple of God that the sparrow even has a place of security and safety when you thought there was no future for you even the small birds have a place where they can raise their family
families, even the small. Oh, yes. Amen. You might not find it in a committee in this world. You might not find it in the workplace. You might not find it in a school or a college. You might not find it, amen, in the Knights of Columbus or in the Oak Club. But thank God, according to Scripture, the house of God, the altars, the vicinity of the Almighty, it has a home for everybody that feel like refuse and discarded and garbage. There's a home for you. You're more valuable than many sparrows. Stand with me. He has a place for you. God has a place for you. A place where you can nest. A place where you can build the context of your life. He has a place for you. Here's what I want you to do tonight as we leave from this service this evening, rather than believing the status of what everybody around you is showcasing and wanting you to see, right? Because really that's what we do even with people, right? We show them the parts of us we want them to see. Mm -hmm. We all have details We'll keep that tucked over here. Because right. Right. Aiden, if you knew this, then you probably wouldn't give me the time of day. So we only want to reveal and showcase all those things that may be attractive about our lives. But what I want you to do is rather than believing, number one, rather than believing other people's version of you, right? Because some of us has been fed that from our past, our homes, our families. They fed to you, this is what you are. To the place you believed it. So rather than believing other people's version of you, and let me go a step further, rather than believing the version that you've contrived in your own mind of yourself, you need to believe God's estimation of you. It's time for us, all of us, I don't care, we've been in the church for 20 years, we've been in the church for two weeks. It's time for us to rise out of all of the self-damning words, self-damning thoughts, the self-deprecation that we do to ourselves. Because folks, I believe that you're of worth and that God has a purpose for you here. But in order for you to fulfill your purpose here and play your part, it's hard to do that when you're dragging alone a version of yourself that you're intimidated of and ashamed of. If we were all to open the door to our closet, there's going to be a skeleton laying there. Because if we get in our minds that 
we don't count and we're no count, then it seems to me that our beliefs then will have bearing on what we do. Our beliefs have bearing upon what we will do and what we won't do. So I come to tell you tonight, I know I haven't been up here long, but long enough. Whether a sparrow on earth or whether a hair on a head, both do not go unnoticed by God. And what that means for us is neither do you. We bow our heads across this place. You need to, I'm, I'm, not talk, I'm not talking to your neighbor tonight. This is pastor talking to you. I'm talking to you about the preciousness of you. Oh, yeah, that would that'd be great for Brother Mason. No, he's talking to Brother Mason. Tonight. No, 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 no. You need to accept that. To, I'm talking about the preciousness of you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. <laughs> when as yet all of your members were still yet being fashioned, God knew you had a hand on your life before Jeremiah was even born he has spoken over his life to be a prophet that means before birth God had a purpose for that which was to be born I'm telling you tonight that God has a purpose for your life and it's a purpose that predates your birthday God has a purpose for you because there's preciousness in you hallelujah this altar is open for whosoever will brother mcgee i don't feel like much i I understand what you're saying but god has cared about sparrows and hares he cares about you there's a place for you here at the first apostolic church there's a place for you at the house of god there's a place of security a home a place where you can disband hurts fears anxiety and fears of past experiences maybe your life growing up in a home that was dysfunctional and where you felt abandoned by your own family and those that abhor you dialogues that have been seared in your mind about how you wasn't loved and that you'll never amount to something the preciousness of you tonight God esteems you higher than what you even know <laughs> Come on, sir, ma'am, you, you, young person, you can cry out to God right now. You, you don't have to veil anything here. You don't have to cloak anything in the presence of God. You can bear those areas, that, those areas that you don't want to be honest with anybody else about. You can pull back the cloak tonight and you can be honest with God about it. You're not going to surprise Him. You're not going to make Him wag His head or turn His face away. No, the preciousness of you. He's interested in you. Hallelujah. Let's talk to God all over this place. Thank you for listening. 
If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.